Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Go podcast. Your host, Jaron, today, I'll be breaking down the conference championship games on Sunday. Bengals and Chiefs, who has the advantage and who I'm going to pick. Same with the 49ers and Rams. I'm also going to look at the divisional teams that just lost and what's ahead uh, for them. And then the NBA All-Star Game, the starters were revealed yesterday. I react to those, and if there are any snubs or surprises in that list, then I'm going to make my two picks uh, for the women's uh, final for the Australian Open, and same with the men's, hoping that after this weekend, Novak Djokovic is no longer the world number one. So let's get into it with this weekend's conference championship games and the stat or statistic many of you might have heard is that this is the first conference championship weekend without Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers since 2009. And that's just something that is hard for me uh, to even fathom at this point. I mean, to me, the conference championship games aren't going to have the usual shine or mystique around them uh, because of those two guys, uh, Brady and everything he's accomplished, uh, Aaron Rodgers, a great football talent, getting out there. It's just a custom now. It's like a tradition to see them this weekend try to advance uh, to the Super Bowl. I'm still going to watch these games, still be excited, but to me, this weekend it loses a little bit of glamour without Aaron Rodgers or uh, Tom Brady. So the first game is the Bengals and the Chiefs, a player that, you know, we're sort of getting accustomed to seeing every year at this spot, at this spot. Patrick Mahomes, his fourth straight AFC championship game. He's won his past two. He lost the first one in an epic game to Tom Brady. Now they host the Bengals. Now earlier this year, the Bengals beat them in Cincy in what to me was one of the best regular season games of the season. In fact, it happened... You know, four weeks ago, it was the first weekend of January, where Joe Burrow put on a show 30 of 39, 446 yards, and four touchdowns. That was Jamar Chase's game, 11 receptions, 266 yards, and uh, two, three touchdowns. He went off that game bet. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase connection. Could not be denied. Uh, defensive coordinator uh, Spags for Kansas City just could not get anything going. Now the Chiefs, uh, that game, you know, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, they had their receptions, Travis Kelsey 5, Tyreek Hill, but they didn't do a lot of damage. Cincinnati did a great job of containing the big plays that the Kansas City Chiefs live on and feasted on last week against the Buffalo Bills. So now that game was in Cincy. Now this game's in Kansas City. Can Cincinnati do it to Kansas City a few weeks later? I think they definitely have a shot. I think Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, is one of the top quarterback receiving duos in the league right now. To me, it's top three. It's top three. I'll go with Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams at the one spot because of how prolific they've been the past two years. This year, you know, I'll also give a nod to Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, brilliant together. But Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, where I look at the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, last year, uh, no Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, limited in his action uh, because of injury. This year now with his good friend Jamar Chase have torn the league up. So they definitely have a shot, especially, you know, if the Honey Badger uh, does not play. Uh, 
that would be a huge loss for this team. But to me, the secondary for the Chiefs, you know, other than the Honey Badger, it's kind of a weakest spot. You know, I don't know, Chardavius Ward's a good piece. Legereus Sneed is a good piece, but they're not excellent. So you're going up with Jamar Chase. You've got to double Jamar. Last game, uh, Jamar, single coverage the whole game, and it was over. You have to double him. You have to bracket him, get a hand on him to slow him down. That is what the Chiefs have to do to win this game. They cannot let Jamar Chase win this game like they did last week. Now on the flip side, the Chiefs. I know that game was four weeks ago, but this Chiefs offense looked so much more explosive. Last week especially, they faced the number one defense in the Buffalo Bills and shredded them. They shredded the number one defense. Patrick Mahomes threw for 378 yards. Tyreek Hill had 150 yards himself. So this team is also on a roll. So to me, you really have the two hottest teams playing each other. I know Cincinnati lost that last game to the Browns. Again, they weren't starting anybody. But the Bengals have been red hot since, you know, a V loss to the Bengals. Even their loss to the 49ers went into overtime, and it was still a good game. But last game, this was a key thing. Chris Jones, their star defensive tackle for the Chiefs, could not get pressure on Joe Burrow at all. Uh, this team could not generate pressure on Joe Burrow, which is surprising because the Tennessee Titans, you know, sat Joe Burrow nine times. Now, again, the Titans' defense is better than the Chiefs. But can the Chiefs apply just some pressure to knock Joe Burrow off his spot? Because you give Joe Burrow time to dissect, throw the football. Even if you take away Jamar Chase, you still got T. Higgins to worry about. Tyler Boyd, they got the running game going with Joe Mixon, who rushed for over 1,000 yards a season. So there is multiple ways uh, for the Bengals to beat a team. And I think that's what makes them so dangerous. It's not like the Chiefs where it's, hey, you know, slow down Hill. You know, Kelsey will get his or slow down Kelsey. We'll let Hill get his. It's not as simple as that. Now, the X factor here for me is experience. I know a lot of people want to talk about, oh, you know, Bengals, you know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have experienced some big games, played them in national championship together, were in a slew of big games at LSU, and always came out on top. NFL is a different beast. Uh, Joe Burrow said it uh, himself, the Arrowhead Stadium you're going into, is going to be as loud as the college football stadiums that he played in. And I agree, Arrowhead, the loudest stadium in the NFL. They're going to have that advantage. Also, the experience. As I said, this is their fourth straight AFC championship game for the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes has been here and has been great. So is Kelsey Hill, Tyron Matthew, Chris Jones. They have all been here before. So with that being said, I like Kansas City to narrowly win this game. Uh, I like them to get their revenge on the Bengals. I think it's going to be very close. I'm surprised if the spread is at Kansas City, seven points, because I think it's going to be a field goal type of game. And I even think the Bengals have a realistic shot of winning this game. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cincinnati Bengals come into Arrowhead and pull off the upset. But just after watching that offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals last week, I cannot pick the Cincinnati Bengals because if the Kansas City Chiefs generate some type of pressure, this is a much better team than the Tennessee Titans. You're not going up against Ryan Tannehill. You're going up against one of the greats, Patrick Mahomes. So I feel like a, a Shark Tank investor. After all those reasons, I'm out. And I just can't pick the Bengals this game. But I love what they're doing. Love Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But the Chiefs have the edge in this game. I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, what about the second game? The San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. NFC Championship game. 
It's a Saturday night. I mean, Sunday night, primetime game. This is the biggest game of Matthew Stafford's career. I do believe that, you know, usually NBC has a night game. Uh, last week, for some reason, NBC did not have a night game. So, you know, this, that was a big game for Matthew Stafford. But it wasn't a primetime night game, you know, like the like the Bills, Chiefs, you know, overnight before 49ers, Packers. I believe that was that Matthew Stafford would have lost that game. Now this is prime time, like prime time, prime time. Biggest game of Matthew Stafford's life so far, Sunday night. And so far, where they're actually projecting quite a few 49er fans to be there. Uh, at first, you know, they tried to bar everyone outside the Los Angeles area. That didn't really work out, so they opened up the tickets, which I agree with, because I think there's a lot of Niners fans in Los Angeles, when you look at the Rams and how they were in St. Louis for a time, there was no team in L.A. for a while. Who was the team? It was the Niners. So there's just a lot of Niners fans everywhere in general, but they're the majority of California. I believe it was either uh, SeatGeek or Vivid Seats, one of the ones you know projected 49ers to be 65% of the fans there at SoFi Stadium this Sunday. I believe that number won't hold up, but I believe it'll be 50-50, at at least 50-50 for this game. So I do not think this is going to be a true home game for the Los Angeles Rams at all. I think this will be very reminiscent of the game that just happened a few weeks ago, a Week 18 49ers Rams that went into overtime and the Niners won that game. Niners have won both matchups this year, uh, at home and away. They play for a third time. Now, teams that play a third time and have already beat the team twice, they usually have a 70% chance of winning. Based on historical numbers, 70% of the teams have won all three matchups. Again, you look at last year, that was the case with the Saints, beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, two regular season matchups, but then the playoffs came and the Tampa Bay Bucks won that game. So now we got the Niners Rams. Not only did the Niners beat the Rams this year, they beat it on like the past six or seven times. Uh, the past six times. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has had McVay's number. This Niners team have had the Rams number. And when you look at both of these games, it comes with a strong running attack. That's a way to beat them. You know, the 49ers embarrassed the Rams on Monday night in November 31-10 to 10 off a strong running game. You know, they didn't run the ball as much in the second matchup in SoFi because they were down 17-3 to three at half. The Niners still, uh, they came back and won that game. Only team uh, to beat McVay went down at halftime. Now that's big because they have the confidence. They have the swag uh, coming into this game. They have the personnel. Trent Williams, I believe, will play this game. Star left tackle. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, he can run the ball down this team. They've had trouble, you know, with some of their uh, zones and reads and kind of their uh, running plays that they designed to open holes down wide, their counters, all the plays that Kyle Shanahan uh, schemes up. Rams have a tough time, and they don't really like tackling those guys. Uh, I noticed, especially in the last matchup, when Debo's has a full head of steam and he's coming to Leonard Floyd, uh, Leonard Floyd doesn't want to tackle him. He's fine getting after a quarterback, but when somebody's coming at him, they have a tough time tackling. So it's on the defense. The Rams' offense... I think they think it'll be fine if Matthew Stafford doesn't get it in his own way and throws interceptions. I believe, you know, Cooper Cup will have a good day, OBJ, but it's going to be on the defense. And to me, I like the Niners' defense more than the Rams. The Rams have the superstars, the Von Miller, the Aaron Donald, the Jalen Ramsey, but the Niners have the more complete unit. They just went into Lambeau and beat Aaron Rodgers. 
you don't think they can come into SoFi and beat Matt Stafford? It's a downgrade right there. Nick Bosa, Arik Armstead, uh, Key, all those guys, uh, Fred Warner, Hurst. They're going to get after Matthew Stafford. And the secondary has been holding up just enough, you know, for the front four, front seven to get after the quarterback, which I like. Now, everybody wants to talk about Jimmy G. They're winning in spite of Jimmy G. And Jimmy G's, you know, not a good quarterback, you know, you know, people blasting him for, you know, getting carried. I don't agree with that narrative or with that QB or that wins are not a QB stat. That's something I don't agree with because if we were to just isolate metrics, for example, you look at uh, Brett Favre throwing like the most interceptions in anyone's career. But he was a winning quarterback. He was. He won a Super Bowl. Uh, he, you know, three-time MVP, uh, Pro Bowler, you know, all that. Uh, all pro. But we look at Aaron Rodgers as a winner. We don't look at the interceptions and say, this guy was a bad quarterback. We know we look at Brett Favre and say, hey, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a winner. So to me, winning is a quarterback stat because conversely, you know, we talk about losing and we blame the quarterback. That's what we do when we lose. We usually blame the quarterback. So when we win, I believe the quarterback should get its share. Again, another example. Last week, Tennessee Titans. Why did they lose the game? Ryan Tannehill threw three interceptions, three terrible interceptions. He doesn't throw those interceptions. They win. Joe Burrow would have thrown the lone interception. But Ryan Tannehill lost that game. So if you blame, is on him. But when you win and you look at guys like Tom Brady, they have come back, you know, 52, 53 times, uh, won six Super Bowls. You say he is a winning quarterback because that's what he does. He doesn't lose the game for the team. He helps win the game or puts the team in a situation to win the game. So to me, quarterbacks play a huge uh, percentage in winning or losing the game. Why also? Because usually on every offensive snap, the ball is in the quarterback's hands. So 50% of the time of the whole game, the quarterback has the ball. Whether it's a handoff, a throw, a motion, the quarterback has the ball in his hands. So when he throws the ball, he has to make the right read, the right thing. But when he hands the ball off, he has to make sure he doesn't lose the ball. He doesn't fumble it. You know, he has to do it right, play action. So there's a lot of things that go in uh, two wins, of course. But to me, quarterbacks deserve a large share of that number. To me, quarterback wins should not be dismissed because Jimmy G's a winner. That's what he is. He's a winner. He's won two Super Bowls. Of course, he wasn't the starter. But he's got two rings on his finger. He's got two rings. That's more than Patrick Mahomes has. He's a winner. Uh, more than a lot of quarterbacks have. More than Russell Wilson has. And when you look at when he's healthy, all he does is win. But two years ago, when he led his Niners, what did he lead them to? Week 17 against the Seahawks in Seattle. Winner gets the number one seed. Jimmy G leads his team to victory. Leads his team over Aaron Rodgers to go to the Super Bowl and just came up a little short in that Super Bowl matchup against Patrick Mahomes. So, yes, he's a winner. Winning is a part of a quarterback stat as it is a team stat, a coaching stat, all that. But to me, winning is also tied to the quarterback. Where we look at Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, he's thrown 12 interceptions, but he's thrown, you know, 20 touchdowns, more quarterbacks have thrown more interceptions than him. Matthew Stafford's thrown 17. That's more than Jimmy Garoppolo. Patrick Mahomes has thrown 13. That's more than Jimmy Garoppolo. Joe Burrow has thrown 14. That's more than Jimmy Garoppolo. So out of the quarterbacks left in the playoffs, Jimmy Garoppolo has thrown the least amount of interceptions. Now he's also thrown the least amount of touchdowns, 
But the point is, it's not because of him they always are in trouble. He's just a turnover-prone machine, because that is just not true. Jimmy G usually, now he'll make a bad play here or there, but so does every, every quarterback. But Jimmy G usually puts his team in a position to win the game. That's the case. I'm not going to argue and sit here that Jimmy G is the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks I've seen. But I agree with Kyle Shanahan that, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, doesn't get enough credit. And I totally agree with that sentiment. So with all that being said, I'm picking the Niners to win this game. I'm rolling with the Niners. I want to see them beat the Rams at SoFi. Win three in a row this year. Kyle Shanahan send Sean McVay home. Again, I think this will be another a close game on Sunday. But I like their, their offensive mindset, the way that this Niners team, they do not get rattled when they're down. They don't abandon the running game or, you know, what gets them going. That's not what they do. And then on defense, they're more sound than the Rams. The Rams find a way to lose games. You look at last week against the Bucks; They were up 27-3, to and they just found ways for the Bucks to get in games. That's just what they do. And when you look at, you know, their last few games that they played, none of them have been impressive, except for the Cardinals game, where I think that was the worst game I've ever seen the Cardinals look, Kyler Murray look in my life. But you look at that Buccaneers game, that was close, and they should have lost that game. The 49ers-Rams, they lost that game. The Rams and the Ravens, they won by one point because of a couple bad throws by Tyler Huntley, a game they could have lost. Rams-Vikings, they barely won that game by a touchdown. If it wasn't for con artist Kirk, they lose that game. The Seahawks and the Rams, if it wasn't for that blatant defensive pass interference, we could be looking at a tie game or a different outcome in that game. So the Rams, to me, haven't been too impressive as of late. They've been winning, but they've also been getting in their own way. I believe it stops there. The 49ers get the win in advance of a Super Bowl, and we see a rematch of Super Bowl, like, 54 a few two a couple years ago. Chiefs, 49ers, round two. That's what I got. Now, moving on to the teams that have just lost this past week, what's next for them? Well, for the Titans, they lost to the Bengals. And yes, the reason why they lost is Ryan Tannehill. It wasn't the defense when we allowed the Bengals to get one offensive touchdown, but they sacked Joe Burrow nine times. Wasn't Derrick Henry's fault? He had a metal plate in his foot. Wasn't AJ Brown's fault, who had a tremendous game? It was Ryan Tannehill, who threw three interceptions. So, what did the Titans need to do? They need to find a new quarterback. That's what they need to do. And I think there's draft options that they can look at. at you know, you maybe look at a Kenny Pickett, a Matt Corral, depending on how far some of those guys drop. Maybe a Sam Howell as well from North Carolina, who I think maybe is a Ryan Tannehill equivalent, but maybe just doesn't turn the ball over as much. But the Titans, if they are to compete with the Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, the Justin Herbert and the uh, Bengals, the Josh Allen and the Bills, the Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, the uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers, they need a young athletic quarterback that can throw the football because they got the receivers and they got the running back. They've got the talent surrounding Ryan Tannehill to make him look good. And at times he's looked good. He looked good against the Rams this year where they beat them. He's looked good against the Colts. He's looked good, but he's inconsistent. You look at the game against the Texans where he threw four interceptions and fumbled. Uh, you look at the game against the Jets where he threw a couple interceptions and they lost. So a new solid consistent quarterback is what the Titans need to take them to the next level, get them back into the championship game, and get them in real contention 
with these up-and-coming teams with good up-and-coming athletic young quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill does not check any of the above boxes, and they need to move on from him immediately. And I make the comparison of Ryan Tannehill and Jimmy G. To me, two very similar quarterbacks, but one loses games and one wins games. Next team on my list, the Green Bay Packers. What's next for them? Uh, What's next for them is free agency and hoping that they're able to re-sign both Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, the prolific quarterback-wide receiver duo, the best of the past two years, I would say, as they combined for the most yards, targets, completions the past two years. Uh, these two have kind of been unstoppable together, except when they play the Diners in the playoffs or face Tom Brady. But other than those two matchups, they do pretty well together. So the Packers might be in salary cap hell next year, $50 million projected. Aaron Rodgers has a $46 million cap hit, would be the largest for a quarterback for next year because of the way they kind of restructured it to say, hey, you know, we'll trade you because we can't take on this cap hit or we'll have to restructure it. Devontae Adams, obviously they won't have room for him. He's a free agent. Can't franchise tag him with that cap money. So the Packers are in a very peculiar position. They just lost their offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, but then again, Matt LeFleur calls the plays, and Matt LeFleur loses them a few games, as we saw against the Niners. He's not a genius play caller. In big games, he comes up short, evident by the Niners game and the Bucks game. He does make a couple of questionable decisions, but that's the Packers' biggest thing is figuring out what to do with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And what would surprise me, or what I want to know is, eventually Aaron Rodgers is going to lead this team. Uh, He's not getting any younger. But if they don't have an Aaron Rodgers or Devontae Adams, how good is Matt LaFleur? How really good is that coach? I think that will be the question we'll find out. Next up. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, this is tough for me. Tom Brady. That's the biggest X factor. It's Tom. And I'm still in a spot where I cannot even fathom Tom Brady being out of the league. I just can't. Uh, And maybe that's just because all I've known all my life is an NFL with Tom Brady with Tom Brady and all the Maddens and Madden covers. I'm 22 years old. Tom Brady has had 22 NFL seasons. So he's been in the league as long as I've been alive. So every Sunday, every week, Tom Brady is always there. He's kind of been the one and only constant in my football life where I watch great players that I love, Ray Lewis, uh, Ed Reed, that Ravens team, the Seahawks team with Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Marshawn Lynch, the Peyton Mannings with the Broncos, uh, Calvin Johnson, Megatron, all those players gone, retired, some of them even in the Hall of Fame now. But Tom Brady has still been around. And maybe just because he's so great, he's such a legend, And the famous Sandlot quote, you know, legends never die. It just feels like, to that extent, legends never retire. I just expect to turn on a Sunday game and have Tom Brady throwing the football. So, I don't know if Tom Brady is going to retire or not. But if he does, I just don't know if I can come uh, to grips with it. I know. I know uh, he mentioned, you know, he doesn't want the Big Ben type of retirement, you know, the celebrations and all that, which I understand, uh, he said, you know, distraction-wise, which I get. But I feel like if he he were to announce, hey, this is going to be my last year, 
I could come to grips with it more and emotionally prepare myself, you know, for, hey, this is going to be Tom's last season. He makes it to the playoffs. You know, each game could possibly be his last game instead of waking up on a Sunday morning and hearing a report that, you know, Tom Brady mulling retirement right now. Like, that, it hit me out of nowhere. And I'm still affected by it that I could still – I know football It's still going to be great. You know, all the young up-and-coming quarterbacks, that most of them are in the AFC. The NFL will be just fine. But I don't know if I'll be just fine, at least quite yet. I think next year would definitely be have a very different feel not to have Tom Brady in the league. I don't care what team he's on. I don't care if it's the Jets, the Colts, uh, the Niners, you know, the Bucks. I would just like to see him play one more year and to have more real closure after this season and kind of what I just watched because there was just so many distractions this year for the Bucks team uh, with Antonio Brown, uh, then the injuries here at the end, uh, Bruce Arians uh, hitting the player. I mean, it just unceremoniously came to an end uh, and just a lot of distractions that distracted away from football there at the end. And they almost still won. But Tampa Bay, hoping and praying that he'll come back one last time or, as they said, be pleasantly shocked you know, if he returns. I would love to see Tom Brady play one more year. He said 45. Keep up your end of a bargain, Tom. Uh, And another thing is, too, I think Tom Brady has made his decision. I just think he's evaluating to make sure this decision, you know, is right for him. I don't think he's going to be like Aaron Rodgers and, you know, drop all these cryptic tweets and messages on every podcast every week. But I think uh, he's just going through because he knows once he retires, that's it. He's not, you know, the young gun to, oh, I'm going to retire, but, you know, I can play again the following year. This is it. This is It's kind of like a final finale, like uh, – Tony Stark going out in Avengers Endgame uh, where he's just no longer in the MCU. And you can't really prepare for that. You can't really prepare for Tom Brady leaving the league. So it's going to be tough uh, to see Tom Brady when that officially comes out again. I hope it's one more year because then even if he doesn't say, hey, this is going to be my last year. I can emotionally prepare and say, I know you haven't said this in me last year, but we all know this is going to be your last year. Um, and I can feel much better about myself. Uh, so that's the Buccaneers' biggest X factor is their quarterback situation next year. Now the Buffalo Bills. Their biggest thing, it's the defense. Uh, and I know what you might be saying, hey, didn't the Bills have the number one defense? Yeah, they did, but, you know, that's kind of like a, a lying statistic. It wasn't like the greatest number one defense of all time. It was a number one defense that got shredded by Patrick Mahomes. And the defense got shredded multiple times by a good rushing attack. You look at the Patriots and the cold, ran all over that team. You look at the Derrick Henry, ran all over that team. Tom Brady had his way in the first half against the Buffalo Bills. So... This defense uh, was good, you know, number one, like it was, but it wasn't great. It wasn't a defense like, oh, I'm scared of this defense. It's it's legit. It's legit. And you look at their safeties, who are kind of the anchor of the team, Poyer and Hyde, they're getting older. So to me, they need more depth defensively, and they need to get younger. So that's the one thing I look at. Offense, I think, is fine. You got your quarterback, uh, wide receiver uh, receiver duo, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. You got your slot guys, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. Maybe replace Emmanuel Sanders. But the defense, to me, is going to be 
the biggest thing in finding a defense that can hold Patrick Mahomes down for 13 seconds and not allow him uh, to get like 50 yards in two plays. So that's the biggest thing for the Buffalo Bills is definitely finding uh, some defensive pieces uh, to help them out. Now, time to talk about something I'm also upset about. That involves the Baltimore Ravens, who got Mike McDonald from Michigan last year, our fervor defensive coordinator. Last year, you know, Jim Harbaugh needed a defensive coordinator. John said, hey, here's Mike McDonald. You know, our great defensive mind wasn't defensive coordinator at the time. It was Don Martindale who got fired. But they weren't expecting to fire Don Martindale in that uh, in the coming year. So they said, we'll give you Mike McDonald. And he was great for Michigan. Just great. Now, what did Baltimore do? I don't know if this is like an Indian gift type move or just screwing Michigan over. But now the Ravens, after one year, get Mike McDonald back as their defensive coordinator. I don't know what type of process that was a one and done for Mike McDonald. But thanks. Thanks, John. And thanks, Mike McDonald, for screwing Michigan. I thought Michigan, offensively, still going to be good. I think Josh Gaddis is going to stay. Who knows about Jim Harbaugh, what's going on there. But offense returning like every key starter except for uh, Hassan Haskins. But they got Donovan Edwards, got a lot of recruits. I think they'll be fine. They lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball. But Dax Hill, the Hutchinson, the Jabo, everybody. Uh, so I thought, hey, you got a legitimate top defensive coordinator. You know, he can, you know, mold the young guys together and – Keep them afloat. Now, that just throws that plan out of the window. Not only are we losing our players on the defensive side, but we're losing the defensive coordinator. And to me, I want to, this is going to tell me how good Mike McDonald is because he had the top pass rushing duo with Hutchinson and Ojabo. He had legit NFL talent on that defense. Uh, so I want to see with the Ravens, how good is his scheme uh, now that he's going to be playing a Joe Burrow twice a year who's torched for Ravens and giving him that sauce and going up against Patrick Mahomes and all the other great talent of the AFC. What are the Ravens and Mike McDonald going to do? Now, I'm upset because I no longer have him on Michigan. And once again, after one great year for Michigan where I want to build on success, uh, one great year of Michigan football that I've watched in my life, and there's uncertainty around Jim Harbaugh, the defensive coordinator leaves. Is that all I get? One good year where Alabama gets to reload, Ohio State gets to reload, everybody reloads. But not poor little Michigan. You know, they have to not reload. They have to have one good season, pay me for 20 years, and then have another good season. I can't live like that. I can't watch college football in that state of mind. It's it's detrimental to my mental health. Uh, So thanks, Baltimore. Thanks, Michigan, for doing that to me. But in other news of coaches staying together, that's the Dallas Cowboys. Defensive coordinator Dan Quinn says he's staying in Dallas after multiple job interviews. He is staying in there. Mike McCarthy said he's returning in 2022. Well, I'm glad the boys are back. Glad them boys are back. Does does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. Do I think they'll win the division next year? No, I don't. (laughs) Uh, I do not. When's the last time a team in the NFC East repeated as division champions? Oh, it's been like 20 years. Like, it never happens. So guess what? It ain't happening again this year. And if for some reason it does, are you still make the playoffs? Don't expect to make any noise. First round exit. That should be the name of the Cowboys home stadium. First round exit. Because that's all the Cowboys do. They're technically a one and done. I haven't been to a championship game in like 25 years. Because they're that bad. The Cowboys are are that bad. Their fans are delusional. Jerry Jones 
is delusional. The head coaching staff, or the coaching staff in general, is delusional. The players are delusional. This is a team that just doesn't get it. Uh, the overall, from top to bottom, everything. The, this team is delusional, to say the least. Uh, they think they're really better than what they are. And they're not. They're proven frauds time and time again. Uh, what they do is take money from their fans, from the media, from everywhere, to pay their players uh, and their staff and not do anything uh, and just make empty promises and not deliver. The Dallas Cowboys uh, are the most, I think, could be equivalent to like politicians where they just hand out empty promises and candy and kiss babies and they just lose year and year, time and time again. They don't deliver on anything they say they're going to do. Because they're not honest, they're not truthful, and they don't keep to themselves. And it's just a bad situation. And for Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys fans, management, all of it. Uh, I'm glad everybody's staying because this year, first round exit. Next year, first round exit. Nothing is going to change. Now, time to stock, talk about the NBA All-Star Game and transition to that. I'm going to open with the West. The West All-Star Games uh, starters are LeBron James, led in voting. Totally agree with. He's been on an MVP tear, uh, points, all that. He's been tremendous. Nikola Jocic, best big man in the West. Give it to him as well. John Morant, Steph Curry, backcourt. Uh... That's the best backcourt you can assemble right there. Steph, been ridiculous from three. John Morant has just been carrying a bulk of this team to greatness, the Grizzlies. But the one I'm concerned about and still trying to wrap my head around is Andrew Wiggins. Now, congratulations to Andrew Wiggins uh, for getting selected, you know, for the All-Star game. You've had a good year, 18 points. But I'm a little surprised that he was selected uh, because he is like the fourth best option right now on his own team. You've got Clay Thompson, who's ahead of him, Steph Curry. Of course, Steph Curry's already picked Clay Thompson's backcourt. I don't think he deserved that. But you also had Draymond Green, who I think was more deserving of a front court spot. Yes, he's been injured recently, but he was a defensive player of the year conversation. He is a key cog in this Warriors team. So I was a little surprised he didn't get selected and Luka Doncic as well, just because I feel like NBA loves Luka Doncic. So I was surprised that those two were snubbed in favor of Andrew Wiggins. Now I look at the East side. Uh, And Durant led the East in voting was the captain. I agree he was... Top MVP candidate right there before he went down with his injury. Giannis Antetokounmpo joins him in the front court. I agree. You know, top player for me right now overall. He's just tremendous. And then Joel Embiid, another one who's been on an MVP tear the past month or so. So to me, legitimate best front court right there. Can't argue about that. Backcourt, DeMar DeRozan. Agree, he's led the Bulls. He's been the leader. Uh, and then Trey Young. Honestly, I might have had Zach Levine instead of Trey Young. Zach Levine's been good, but I get, you know, do we want DeMar and Zach Levine? So maybe it's just choosing one or the other. And I definitely think DeMar DeRozan, you know, got him there. But this is a good team. You also had James Harden as well, uh, who was good and could have been placed in there as well, maybe over. Trey Young, I possibly would have gone that route. Uh, but I won't question, you know, that decision at all because Trey's, you know, was also deserving of getting that all-star nod. So two very good all-star games. 
But now if we were to match it up and say, who's winning this game, who would I have to choose from? So let's go one to five. One, you know, you got the Steph Curry, Trey Young matchup. I'm taking Steph Curry over Trey Young any day. Uh, I think Trey Young can match uh, Steph Curry in terms of range, but Steph Curry, he's got the accuracy that Trey Young doesn't have. Uh, the shooting ability, the hands, just at all. Uh, to me, he's upgraded Trey Young. Trey Young's trying to be what Steph Curry is, and he's just not there yet. I've got to give it uh, to Trey Young. I mean to Steph Curry, my bad. Then you got John Morant and DeMar DeRozan. I got to go John Morant. John Morant's also been MVP type player like DeMar DeRozan. But Ja is an athletic freak. The defensive side as well, the steals, the blocks. Uh, it's just tremendous the way he runs up and down the court uh, so fast. But it is also his ability to just make plays and not play at 1,000 miles per hour every single play. I'd take Ja over DeMar in this matchup. To me, the front court, I give the advantage to the West. What about the back court? I'm going LeBron, KD. This is an even matchup to me. This is sort of the push matchup where LeBron, he'll get his uh, buckets on KD, but KD will answer a sharpshooter, but he is, you know, he'll get some buckets on uh, LeBron. Just me personally, that I love LeBron, I might give the slight edge to LeBron and how he's been on a tear recently, but this might be the push matchup where, you know, it's a coin toss type flip. Now, you look at Giannis uh, going up against Andrew Wiggins. Giannis, no doubt about it, no question. Uh, nobody, that should not even be a debate, Giannis, over him. Nikola Jocic and Joel Embiid. Jocic won MVP last year, which I thought was a weak MVP win. I like Joel Embiid more. He's dominant. He's aggressive. Give me Joel. Uh, he's been tremendous, you know, I think 9 or 12, 30-point games for a center. It's just ridiculous how dominant he is, how good he is from a free-throw line as well. He attacks, gets to the line uh, because of the two front court players. I'll take the front court of the East over the front court of the West. But you had that LeBron KD matchup. I think this would be such a close, close game. This would be a brilliant to watch this five-on-five play. Of course, it won't happen because KD is injured. Uh, but still, I think I might give you know if they were playing twenty-one or blacktop, give the nod to uh, the West there. But speaking of that, you had last night too. After that, Steve speaking about the Lakers, LeBron. Knee soreness out against the Sixers, lost that game. And it was close there. At halftime, I think it was uh, like 54-48 or 54-50, something like that. It was close. And then the third quarter just broke loose for the 76ers, 34-20. Advantage for them, they won the game. So 76ers won. But what I did like was how aggressive Anthony Davis was. 31 points, 14 of 21 from a field, not taking a lot of threes, was good defensively. That's the Anthony Davis I want to see. I I think it was a great effort from him, from this team. Uh, No LeBron. But if I can see that Anthony Davis on a nightly consistent basis, even if I get every five to one games, I'll take that advantage. Now, tonight, Lakers playing on a back-to-back, play the Charlotte Hornets, who are also, you know, on a little uh, playing well themselves. But can they match up with the Lakers? I say no. I say the Lakers win this game if LeBron plays. If LeBron plays this game, I think they win. If they lose, again, I don't think a Lakers team without LeBron has any chance. But I really do think the Lakers, you know, can win this game if, you know, depending on if AD plays, I know, uh, but back-to-back, we'll see if we'll see if LeBron plays, you know, that could derail everything. But I think this will be a good game. Charlotte's such a great offensive team, a uh, bad defensive team, but so is Lakers. So I could see this being a high-scoring game in itself. Also speaking of the Lakers, 
news rumors surrounding them of a Buddy Heald trade. You know, they tried to get it last year. It would be a miracle if they could still still pull it off this year. I think they can because Buddy Heald having his career worst year, but I definitely think he can turn it around. Uh, I think a package is surrounding Taylor Horton Tucker and some veterans. I think adding Buddy Heald would be great. Get him out of Sacramento. Uh, great three-point shooter. I would love to see that for the Los Angeles Lakers. Then, after that game, you've got the New York Knicks and the Milwaukee Bucks. I like Milwaukee to win this game. New York reeling a bit. I like Giannis, who's just been tremendous, averaging a double-double, just like he always does. Uh, Milwaukee's Grayson Allen back from suspension. I think Milwaukee wins this game against the New York Knicks. Now, finally, I'm going to make my two picks for the Australian Open. First, women's, you've got Barty versus Collins. Uh, Barty could be the first Australian woman to win the Australian Open. I don't think it happens. Barty's been here before. She's been in the big moments, and she's come up short in this tournament. I think Collins wins and pulls off the upset. Then, and the men's, you've got Rafael Nadal going up against Medvedev. And Medvedev's a great player. He beat Djokovic in the U.S. Open uh, to not allow him to get to 21, to get to four uh, Grand Slams in the calendar year. Now he's playing Nadal. Nadal's looking to get 21. Can he stop Nadal now like he did Djokovic from getting 21? I think he can. Medvedev is locked in. And also, if he wins this tournament, Novak Djokovic is no longer the world ranked number one. The world really needs this. I'm sorry, but we do. I don't want to see Novak anymore in number one. To me, that would cement Federer's tremendous number one rankings uh, that he's had. That would definitely help him out. Medvedev, I'm pulling for you. It's not because I don't like Nadal. It's just because I hate Djokovic that much. Can't stand him. Uh, I'm going for Medvedev uh, in this game. Sorry, Nadal. You can't get 21. I like Medvedev. Uh, Actually, he's the favorite to win this. I've got Medvedev. All right. This has been Get Your Go. Hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Who do you think will appear in the Super Bowl? Only four possible matchups left. I think it'll be a rematch, Chiefs 49ers. Who do you got? We'll find out Sunday night. Bye, everybody.